Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. This week, we saw the anniversary of, well, one of the most iconic images of the Second World War. Six U.S. Marines raising the flag on Mount Suribachi during the horrific Battle of Iwo Jima. Did you know that a mass was celebrated uh, under the flag? My guest, R.J. Matava, is the dean of graduate school at Christendom College. Two of his uncles served on Iwo Jima, and one was killed in action there. He's a lifetime member of the Iwo Jima Memorial Historical Foundation. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with me. Uh, Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me, Al. It's great to be here with you. Let's uh, let's just talk about the significance, the military significance of uh, Iwo Jima. Why was this so important? Yeah, there's. Um, it was one of the most iconic images of the war, and this was a significant battle not only for the the outplay of the rest of World War II, especially in the Pacific theater, but really you can look at the long term implications of the way that uh, this was really almost ushering in a new era of battle, a new kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the the, the most severe uh, battle in Marine Corps history. Um, one of the one of the worst, most intense of the war. Um, Iwo Jima is a tiny black volcanic island in the South Pacific, about 650 miles off the coast of Japan. So its strategic significance uh, lie in its proximity to the homeland. Okay. Uh, but it is a tiny island. It's only about eight square miles, five feet long, two feet wide. Um, and uh, there was this intense fighting that lasted over 30 days. Uh, for that island because of the three airstrips that it had, which allowed uh, U.S. bombers to get one step closer to the mainland. Um, we can talk a little bit more about the geography uh, that, that made the battle so intense and a little bit more of the, of the history. Um, yeah. No, the so, island is tiny. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is, a, yeah, I think, uh, was it you that said it was the most expensive piece of worthless real estate in the history of the globe? Yeah, that, that's that's a common uh, impression of Iwo Jima. It was an extremely uh, intense battle. Um, there were more casualties on the U.S. side than on the Japanese side, although more deaths on the Japanese side. It was the only battle where the U.S. suffered more wounded uh, than the Japanese. Hmm. There were about uh, 6,800 uh, Marines killed uh, or U.S. servicemen killed in that battle about 21,000 Japanese, but the island was held by around 23,000 Japanese, and there was an invasion force of 60,000. Um, it was uh, an intense battle that the people that I knew who fought there all oh, many times uh, said to me that their, their experience of it was it was, it was a month of hell, uh, hell on earth. It was literally a steaming sulfur mine, sulfuric island. Um, I have here in my hand uh, black sand from, from the beach of Iwo Jima, um, and it's just a pebble-like, glassy, uh, loose sand that made it very hard for anybody to dig in or to get vehicles onto the beach. Um, I had one uncle who survived the battle, and uh, when he talked about it, which was not often, uh, he once said uh, it was the worst month of his life. He, his task was uh, clearing caves on Iwo Jima, hmm. and that uh, at one point he actually took took prisoner uh, over 20 uh, Japanese servicemen. It was they were among the few Japanese who were taken prisoner in that battle. Um, as you know, one of the uh, one of the, the legacies of that battle was that um, the Japanese did fought to the death. They were uh, yeah. they were they were not uh, interested in surrendering most of the time, and so that led to very high casualties on both sides. What, how did he describe? Uh, how did they ferret out uh, these the Japanese? soldiers they were hiding in caves right yeah and that's that's what made the battle so difficult not only the terrain which made it impossible to dig in but the fact that the japanese had actually been digging in for about a half century um it started with civilian mining operations on the island and then 
as early as I think the 30s, the Japanese recognized the strategic importance of Iwo Jima, and so they began to fortify it, and certainly that, that uh, intensified throughout the war. So that when the U.S. forces landed on Iwo Jima, um, the Japanese had dug in an, an incredible network of caves that are 11, 12 miles or more uh, in length. They were the, the, the shallowest caves were 35 feet below ground. Uh, in some cases, these were three stories deep. They had three you know levels wow. deep of caves with hospitals, uh, all kinds of communications equipment, everything you could imagine. And uh, as one naval officer put it, this was the most heavily fortified and capably defended island in the world uh, that the Marines landed on. The eerie thing was when they went in on D-Day uh, for Iwo Jima, uh, it was about 9 o'clock or 9.30 in the morning, if my memory serves me right. And uh, the eerie thing was they landed and there was no resistance. Everybody got out on the beach. They expected a big fight. You, you know, we, we think of D-Day in Normandy right. as, as you know, being what it was. That wasn't the way it was on Iwo Jima. They landed on this, this black beach, this black volcanic sand beach, and it was terraced. The, the sea had naturally created these three sort of plateaus, these three terraces that they had to get up, made it very hard to get vehicles up. And it was quiet. And, and they started to say to themselves, gosh, maybe the bombardment worked because they had been bombarding the island for like three months. And the last 30 days before, they, they had just done an incredible amount of aerial bombing and naval shelling. And uh, they thought maybe maybe that softened up the defenses of the island. And then once everybody was out on the beach just after 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, all of a sudden the Japanese opened fire, and it was just a killing pen. And because mm. they had so much uh, so many underground fortifications, there was it's hardly an exaggeration to say that there was there was not a square inch of that island that was not covered from multiple gunpoint angles. So um, they wow. suffered tremendous casualties. There was one lieutenant on the beach. Uh, who actually re recalled um, the landing, and uh, he was trying to dig in, but it would just cave back in on them. He ended up getting hit four times in succession of shell explosions. They'd have mortars and other shells coming over, and there's nothing they could do. They were just trapped there listening to the whistle, and they started to get pretty good at telling when it was going to hit close. And there was just, they were utterly, it was utterly futile. They were powerless to do anything. He was hit in his left uh, foot. He was hit a second time. One went off in his right leg. Uh, another one went off. He was hit in the shoulder. Finally, uh, for some odd reason, he went to check what time it was, and a shell went off. It blew the watch off his hand, and it tore a, a hole in his forearm. And he said to himself, I was beginning to know, finally, what it must feel like to be crucified. Huh. And so this was, this was kind of the experience that they had of, of, um, of the, the intense suffering uh, that really both sides in the battle uh, underwent. What were the circumstances surrounding the, raising, the famous raising of the flag? On called Mount Suribachi. Yeah, so the, the the flag raising actually wasn't at the end of the battle. This was toward the beginning of the battle, okay. but it was a tremendous boost to the morale of everyone. The flag could be seen by all around from the top of Mount Suribachi, which is on the south end of the island. It's about 500-plus uh, feet high, so it was the highest point, uh, and, and you could see it from everywhere. And uh, within the first few days of the battle, D-Day was February 19th. The flag went up on February 23rd. Um, this this was the first sign that the United States was was prevailing. Now everyone knew that that the that including the Japanese, the United States would prevail in this battle. They had no illusions. The Japanese defenders of the islands had no illusions that that they would be able to ultimately win the battle. Um, but they fought to the death anyway in order to buy time, mm -hmm. um, to buy time on the invasion of Japan, um, to weaken the enemy, and especially to to undermine our 
willingness to undertake a land invasion of Japan and to undermine public support for the war. So uh, it was a very intense battle, but they knew that, 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 that they would lose. But it was, it was the first few days between February 19th and when the flag went up on 23rd, it was, uh, it was pretty steep fighting. And then uh, a unit of Marines made their way up Mount Suribachi uh, against enemy resistance. And there were actually two flag raisings. A lot of people don't know this, but the, the famous uh, picture that you think of uh, that's memorialized in, for example, the Marine Corps Monument in, in Arlington or in the National Iwo Jima Memorial in Connecticut, um, that's actually the second flag raising. There was a less iconic first flag raising just a couple of hours before, and it was really the United States staking out its claim uh, on the island. But there was still um, nearly a month of combat that continued after the flag raising, and in fact, there was three months of, of mopping up operations where because the Japanese were dug in uh, so deeply, it, it took several months uh, before the battle really was, was wrapped up. The island was declared secure before all the mopping up happened. But um, believe it or not, the last uh, Japanese soldiers on that island, do you know when they surrendered? No. It, it was 1949. It oh, was about three really? and a half years after the war ended. So it gives you just sort of a perspective on how, how dug in they were and, and also the kind of fighting force that that the Marines encountered. So they, they raised the flag on Suribachi, and, and immediately you could hear the horns. I remember talking to friends of my grandfather. They could hear the horns on the ships all sounding. Uh, men on the beach could see it. All throughout uh, the island, they could see this. It was a tremendous morale booster. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned a, a mass that yeah. was celebrated on Mount Suribachi. That, that, that's closely tied to the flag raising, too. There was, um, on, on board the ships, there was one uh, Jesuit... Uh, Missionary, sorry, not missionary, but chaplain, uh, Father Suver. It may Suver. be Suve. I don't know okay. if, his, if his name was pronounced Suver or Suve, but uh, he was in a conversation with two other Marines, and one said before they were heading into uh, heading into the beachhead, said, "Well, I think I could get a flag off my uh, my LST, and we could raise it, raise that flag on Mount Suribachi." And, and so another one, not to be outdone, said, uh, "Well, you you bring the flag, and I'll raise it." And, and Father Suveyor uh, said, well, you raised the flag and I'll celebrate Mass under it. Huh. So um, very within the same time span of, of those events happening that, that were kind of made immortal in photography, we had a Mass that was celebrated right on Mount Suribachi by this Jesuit priest, Father Suveyor. Um, and he celebrated, by the best accounts that I can piece together, it was about 10 or 10.30 in the morning on February 23rd. So he would have celebrated this Mass right after the first flag raising, yeah. but before the, the second flag raising. Before the raising. second but, one, okay. Was, yeah, it was part of the whole, the same event there. And actually, as they celebrated Mass, there were about 20 Marines, they could hear the Japanese uh, talking. They could hear them being watched in, by the nearby caves. And uh, they didn't. They weren't attacked. Uh, the Japanese seemed to just be kind of intrigued by what was going on. It's, it's imagine putting yourself in the shoes, either of the Marines or of the Japanese, and seeing this take place, <laughs> and just puzzling, what, wondering what is this. And right. they so they they didn't get into any battles, but they were very close by. They could hear the voices of wow. of, of the Japanese in the caves while they were there at the map. Yeah. Any opinion on the movies uh, deal with Iwo Jima? The two Clint Eastwood flags of our fathers, and then letters of Iwo Jima. Letters from Iwo. Yeah. yeah, no, great question. I, I wish I could. I haven't seen the movies, um, but they're on my list. I, I, <laughs> I, 
they're on my list too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, I, I don't watch a lot of movies, but um, those are definitely two that I would like to see. And I'm sure that they're well done, uh, just knowing the quality of some of his other work. Yeah. And uh, interesting, too, to get those two perspectives on the battle. I think it's um, both sides suffered tremendous, tremendous casualties. Uh, the, the, the Japanese were not going to give up, but they saw this as a way of defending their homeland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Marines on the other side uh, said, look, you know you're going to lose. Why do we have to go through this, this intense, hellish month of, of rooting you out? But, but, but that's, that's where we were. So yeah. I think seeing those two movies together would be, would, be, um, would be instructive. Well, RJ, thanks for joining me today. That was very helpful. And uh, it's, uh, the, there are details of history like this that uh, I think reassure us that uh, Christ is working uh, oftentimes in places we can can't imagine. So to think of him there, uh, the, the real presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on Iwo Jima, uh, it's very uh, consoling. Thank you so yeah, much. Ab- absolutely. Good to be with you. Thank you. Yeah. RJ Matava. We'll have an article posted in the Christa Guest Archives. Uh, a wonderful piece of work looking at the Mass on Mount Suravachi there on Iwo Jima, taking place again in the midst of combat. 